0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aitman is intercepted by Sam Mills.
1: Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up. Close for the end zone. Olson. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three. One, two, three. Keep
2: Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Air. I'm your host, Billy Marshall, and as always, joined by my co-host, John Ellis. John, what's going on,
1: brother? Hey, Billy, how you doing, man? Good to be back with you for another uh, weekly recap of preseason football as we're heading into the cutdowns and uh week one is two weeks from today man we're excited
2: yeah for sure and there's obviously going to be news circulating here over the next week or so about guys who made the roster uh guys who get released and maybe some trades as well there's been some reports of that uh but we'll keep you posted on those news while we're here to recap the final preseason game against the buffalo bills certainly a lot went down not only on the field but off the field too. And uh we're here to break it down for you. The first things first, John, uh first team offense led by Baker Mayfield. Uh, a little bit of a rough start there. Uh three and out in the first drive. He had a drop uh by Chuba Hubbard. Um, and yeah, they responded well and they, you know, Mayfield led a couple TD drives, albeit uh two in you know good field position. But uh, you know, credit to him and the offense. They looked like uh they're ready for week one.
1: Look sharp, Billy uh we had a chance to go to the game me and my kids and I uh, want to give a shout out to Michael turbert, our good friend on Twitter for uh relinquishing a few tickets there. He couldn't make it so it was nice to be able to get back to the bank hadn't been there in a couple years and uh, at least in a fan capacity to kind of sit you know in in the, in the bowl section and you know, get a sense of the atmosphere. good game atmosphere, a lot of energy and I, I thought, Billy, you know you've got to take things with a bit of a grain of salt. Uh, we've talked about it before with, you know, it's preseason. You've got the ones going against the twos, and that's what Carolina faced there offensively. Uh, But I thought, unlike what New England did the year or the the week prior, Carolina really did acquit themselves nicely against that second team defense there offensively. They got off to a bit of a rough start. But what you don't want to do, has come out and underperform against the second-team unit, and they didn't do that. I do have concerns about the running game. I think McCaffrey can alleviate some of that, and we'll talk about that more in the show. But, no, Mayfield was sharp. You know, he was on point, uh, spread the field, did some good things in terms of uh, going through his progressions, not panicking. The offensive line I thought was very good in this game for what they were asked to do in terms of pass protection. Aquanu, I thought, cleaned a lot of things up. And ultimately, uh, they got some good scoring drives early on. They got the touchdown pass on the little uh, misdirection sprint by Mayfield, and it was a very nice catch by Foreman, who I still think is the second-best running back on this team right now. And then, of course, the, the play of Shy Smith continues to impress Billy. I mean, he's just such a clean player out there in the slot. We saw that play later in the second quarter where Mayfield – does break a little bit of contain there, but he sort of resets himself, gets some good depth in that pocket. Shy Smith finds some void in the defense there. There's an over route by Trimble that takes everybody a little bit to the left there, and Mayfield corked a dime there. It was a pretty little thing uh, to watch there from the stands, and I, I thought Mayfield did what he had to do. He came in, no turnovers, couple of touchdowns, pretty clean first half there.
2: Yeah, it's quite interesting. I'm not hearing the uproar about Iquanu. Oh, this is <laughs> I did last week. Yeah, right. Or the week before. Uh, yep. Again, I don't understand it. I'll never understand why anyone criticizes you know, a rookie with that much pedigree because I think he's going to be good and I just think patience is needed. And I understand that there's a lot of angst amongst the fan base. It's year three of Matt Rule. There hasn't been a winning you know season yet. So I, I totally understand that. But I believe that guys like Iquanu uh, will end up being good. And yes, I saw the same things you did on tape. Iquanu just looked very sharp. And I think the biggest thing moving forward is the communication and uh, how much the two of uh, him and Christensen are in sync now i will say Elfline did not play well at all uh, i thought he was clearly the weak point in the offensive line uh, he gave up multiple interior pressures that you know caused mayfield forced mayfield off his spot uh, i don't know if you saw that on tape but i clearly saw it and in addition to that there was the quote from that rule and i don't know the full context but he essentially pointed out that you know the starting five of the offensive line if healthy uh, includes uh, Iquanu, uh christensen i believe bozeman yeah and uh, corbett and moton but uh, someone said that's the, the context of that tweet that steve reed put out is a little misleading i don't mm-hmm. know if you had a chance to go back and listen to it but uh regardless i think a healthy bozeman is much better than elfline i've said that i'm again I'll, I'll stand by it i think Elfline's a capable backup uh but you saw his weaknesses in this game and it, they
1: were very uh you know it, it was very pertinent yeah absolutely uh the, you you could see early on in that game, there was a weak link in that offensive line. And it's not to disparage Elfline because, as I've said before, with guys like Elfline and Irving, those were the two day one free agent signings last year that took a lot of scrutiny last year and for good reason. They are well-placed as backups, even Irving as a swing tackle, maybe even a guard at times. Elfline can do a couple things on the offensive line for you in a pinch. But much like Sam Darnold, it's the same kind of concept, Billy. You don't want them out there getting 40, 45, 50 reps a game. And I think that's the concern with Line. is there are times where things do break down. And each of the film sessions we've done here in the preseason, right after the game, we get a copy of the tape. And it it does look like Elfline continues to struggle with interior pressure, whether it's uh, splitting the gap, whether it's taking on a bull rush. Uh, it typically tends to look like it's just a bit of a footwork and dexterity issue with Elfline. And I think Bozeman to me on tape has been consistently better over the last couple of years of that position. So, you know, you did mention Steve Reed from the AP that put out a tweet referencing that rule. It talked about, Hey, you know, if, and I'm paraphrasing here, so just bear with me. If the day one, starters had to be named now or if it was week one now that, you know, Bozeman was slated in its center. There's some further context to that. And there's a timeline with Bozeman. I believe it was two to four weeks dating back to sort of the week and a half ago, Mark. And that's going to be interesting to see if he'll be fully up to speed. Because as you know, two to four weeks means, you know, about week six into that, you're going to be feeling hundred percent. So ultimately I think that's the the spot you want to clean up there. It's a critical position, I'll say this, I know they're going against second team once again, but I thought Mayfield had good chemistry in terms of the receivers, especially with Shy Smith. He's been feeding the ball to Rashard Higgins all throughout camp, and I thought it was nice to see Smith continue to get involved in that direction. Robbie Anderson did not play, no McCaffrey, limited reps for D.J. Moore. Uh, Terrace Marshall, I'm going to talk about him a little bit because I was at the game and I, I saw some things that concerned me a little bit there. But I think the offensive line position, you're right. There was a lot of scrutiny and criticism on Aquano. I think had Kyle Duggar not lit him up, <laughs> Billy, that, that, that happens every week in the NFL. You see a tackle sort of get a bad angle from a safety, then there wouldn't have been this narrative. But you saw you know, the early pancake by Aquano against New England, and then Aquano gets knocked off his rocker, and that's just welcome to the NFL season. That's what that is. I thought his pass sets were clean. Uh, you go back to the second string of, of the offensive line there. I know PFF did a nice job of grading these guys out. And and from what I saw during the game, Cade Mays, once again, had a very clean piece of tape. You know, the, the pressure on Darnold, some people put that on Mays. It, it was pretty long developing. So, again, I thought Cade had a good game as well. And he's still a guy I'd look at to say, you know what, if one guy goes down on the interior, he might be ready to kick inside if need be, but not on day one. I think Aquanu looked good. I thought Christensen was in good coordination with him. Corbett got a little better this week, and then Moten, of course, is always solid. But no, elf line that's not who you want in the lineup for 17 games, no doubt.
2: Yeah, and again, uh, we understand the injury with Bozeman, and hopefully he does get you know healthy and in short order. But let's move now to another um, area that is a cause for concern, maybe, um, and that's Terrace Marshall because – I have, we're going to do a stock falling and stock rising section again. Uh, he's not going to be my stock falling. I used him last week. I have another guy in mind for this week, uh, but you said you were at the game. I watched the tape. Kyrie, he's a first round draft pick. He just, you know, was locking him up. Yep. And you know, for me, this, I don't know what's wrong with him. Okay. And I want to preface that. And I'm a huge, I was a huge fan of his pre-draft, John. I mean, you remember how excited I was when I drafted him and I still have high hope for him personally. Uh, but I'm not sure if it's just a combination of injury not you know him not developing you know just his own mindset because you have to understand like players they are more much more cautious when they are coming off injuries so they're not going at the same level of speed because of fear of re-injury potentially and, I, and I'm not trying to make that excuse every player goes through that right but especially for a young player because you remember John he was projected like a first round pick in that draft yeah. Uh, and everyone was surprised when he fell to the second round. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm just curious what you saw on film with him, what you saw at the
1: stadium and where do you think his career goes? It's interesting, Billy, because you've got a more robust competition going on now for that three, four spot. Now wide receiver Higgins has had a very clean camp. It hasn't made a lot of mistakes. His routes have been good. He's been getting open, flashing open at times. And Shy Smith, once again, has sort of stolen the show at camp here and in preseason. I've been highly impressed. I thought it might have been a bit of a mirage at camp. You know how camp goes. You're in shells one day and then you're in pads, but you're really not in full swing. And I think Shy has improved tremendously. Um, Marshall, I don't know, Bill. I would chalk it up to the injury. I mean, the hamstring thing, that's a tough one. Uh, he had two concussions last year, I believe, or was on the list twice for concussions during the injury reports uh that and we it was a week six concussion by the way against Minnesota so the foot injury as well he's gone through it so that's a concern you know Bill Parcells always said you know your availability is more important than your ability and I think we're getting to that point where he's missed so much time you could see the lack of burst off the line you you referenced the the corner there from Buffalo whose name escapes me but Kamir Elam, Kamir Elam. okay yeah Elam's a good player you're right and I I was not impressed. Well, I was impressed by you. I'll say this: I was not impressed by what I saw from Marshall at least live. Now you go back and you look at the tape, and that's one thing we emphasize all the time. Whether you're in the stadium, whether you're watching on TV, the tape is always the best measure. And I just thought, just looking at it again, that first few steps out of you know the play, he's just not getting any type of separation. When he stems, when he gets to his break, it's hard. I mean, there was one play where I believe he was the boundary X to the near side, at least from my perspective. I'm sitting there in the, the bench side where the Panthers uh, are, and he's just not getting. He's running like a little drag route, and he's just not getting separation. And I know you the know, guy is, is a big receiver, physical. It, we talked with Matt Bowen a lot about this guy, Billy. Marshall. And he had texted with me last week about, you know, how does he look? What, what are you seeing at camp and in preseason? And one thing I said, you know, physically he looks amazing. He looks like a guy that you want to feature in that power slot role in the red zone can box you out. But Billy, the clock is ticking and we're getting to a point where the team has to start making decisions. Now we've heard talk about, you know, Denzel Mims possibly being featured in a trade. I think Joe person broke that news here locally Uh, I I don't know if Marshall gets packaged away and sent off but I think when you start hearing things like that you start hearing some buzz about hey maybe Mims is a guy they're looking at similar frame uh, a a big target I don't know if it'll be a one-for-one swap I I haven't heard anything that would indicate that would be the case I would hate to see Marshall not develop into year two here but the receiver position Billy's fickle we've seen this before with guys you know Dwayne Jarrett comes to mind and you know, Kerry Colbert, who had some good moments there, but he had a hard time really sort of grasping it and getting it relative to the position he was drafted. So you, you want to see things from Marshall that you're not seeing right now in terms of separation, a little more physicality. Uh, I think his blocking's actually gotten a little better. That was one of the knocks. I agree. LSU. So I'm happy to see that. But overall, Billy, I just wasn't that impressed. And hopefully it's just something – the injuries kind of have set him back a little bit. I'd stay patient with him, let him develop. If this is truly a, a long-term rebuild, which Matt Rule and David Tepper both have indicated it is, uh, you don't want to give up on Marshall too soon. But no, your stock falling last week was kind of spot on because he can't stay on the field, and when he's on the field. He had a lot of reps, Billy. A lot of reps. He barely had any targets. Yeah, let me just
2: be clear about something. I I... I would rather have Terrace Marshall than Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims. I agree. He's a complete failure. I would not trade for him one bit. Like, there's just no need for this Baylor reclamation project. I agree. Had three years in the league. I mean, he was, again, another guy who was kind of, especially these Baylor receivers, they have all of this hype coming out. Yeah. And none of them Turn into anything, Josh Gordon is like the only one, and he has his own problems off the field. So, yeah. let me just be absolutely clear about that. I, I would rather have Marshall than Mims, and I'm not giving up on a guy in a second year. I think it's fair that we're pointing out his issues. And if you remember, actually, last preseason, he was really, really good. He was like, Yes, he was. You know, remember Ron Rivera always had like the training camp MVP? I thought Marshall was the one of the training camp MVPs last year because. Yep. I mean, he just he looked healthy. He looked like he was, uh, you know, like a legit receiver. And he was doing it it with uh, P.G. Walker primarily because Sam Darnold barely played that preseason. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I'm I'm not giving up on Marshall and I'm certainly not trading for Denzel Mims. I want to make that very clear. If you're going to trade for a position, it's, uh, you know, somewhere possibly in the defensive secondary or offensive line depth, maybe. Uh, but I think this receiving core, oh. as you said, has enough depth with Shai Smith, Hollywood Higgins, Robbie Anderson – and um and dj moore obviously i mean you're, you're four deep at that point and then yeah. whoever else you get has to be special teams and guys like uh Zilstra, he I mean he is a very good special teamer for what he is as wide receiver five so you know go in that rotation now um and i think wide receiver six just give it to marshall and if you want to make him inactive on game days that's fine just let him develop give him a chance i don't
1: yeah. think you should give up on him yet but uh no, i don't know you I don't either. I I think, you know, he had 43 reps in this game. That was 13 more than anybody else on the team offensively. So obviously they're working him hard. They want to get him back into the, you know, kind of shape you need to be in when Carolina kicks off the season in 14 days now, Uh, zero catches, one target. But with all that said, the, the great thing about Marshall that I don't see with Mims is as we've talked about, number one, I think there's more consistency there from his tape overall. Number two, he can line up everywhere on the field. Boundary X, Z, Y, power slot, inside, reduced split, wherever you need him. He did it all with Joe Brady at LSU. And I think that's something you don't give up on too soon because he knows the route tree. He knows the pro concepts. I think give it a little time. Let's see if the injury is what's uh, killing him here. So I'm kind of on the – I'm concerned, but I'm taking the same approach I did with Aquano. Maybe just let's take a step back here. Let's see what happens going into the season because I I am not for trading more assets away, especially a wide receiver position of of relative strength right now. Absolutely. Uh, Defensively, I thought they were
2: solid. I didn't think they were bad at all. Um, Now, there were some concerns about... Uh, you know there was that one drive that Keenum had where he was just dinking and dunking down the field and you know CJ Henderson was playing off coverage and kind of giving up a lot of receptions and you know that's that happens it's it's a tough play and a few of those catches by uh, their receivers were pretty impressive but overall I mean you know your guy Brandon Smith or our guy Brandon Smith had another solid performance he really shows his speed and just his ability to close quickly so yeah credit to him he had a uh, another very good performance and uh, if i had to give a defensive uh pre-season mvp it would be him maybe but uh, oh overall yeah overall the defense what? was pretty
1: solid i mean you have a shutout i don't think you can get it mad about that <laughs> no no you're right it's uh, kind of uh, I, I saw some tweets during the game and I, I tried to stay off twitter during the game except for posting a few vids of the kids which by the way they had a great time my daughter her first game, and she ends up picking up a Mayfield jersey. So take that for what it's worth. But uh, Brandon Smith is really just a fascinating athlete, Billy. He is so fast. He's got such great closing speed. Obviously, you know, there's some things you can nitpick about getting the hips a little bit in a better position, uh, making sure you're square. But, you know, ultimately, he he looks like a pro out there. He doesn't look like a rookie. Uh, I I get he's going with second team there, but – even more impressive because you can see him flash much more than other guys around him in that situation. And I don't know where they'll play him, where they'll feature him. There's I think there's a lot of things you can do with Brandon Smith in terms of positional utilization. You know, he can play as a stackbacker. He can play on the line sort of like Parsons does. You can bring him in that Leo spot and then let him attack off the edge there. Uh, he can do the sandbacker thing. There are a lot of things you can do with Brandon Smith, And he's – one thing, it could be sacrilege a little bit, but the one thing he can do, and I'm so impressed, is he's got the traits that you saw early in the careers of Thomas Davis and Jeremy Chin on tape, and that's where I'll leave it at that. He's got great closing speed, great instincts, gets the ball in a bad mood, gets there in a hurry, good form tackling. I thought he had a great game. And I think the other guys like Burris flashed as well. Xavier Woods continues to have a very nice preseason – Uh, Ultimately, I thought the defense did a hell of a job.
2: Yes, and uh, they're going to be up against it week one, no matter who the quarterback is for Cleveland. Uh, So they have uh, to carry over this momentum into the regular season, and let's hope that it does. Uh, John, the other big storyline coming out of this game was the injuries, and I'm hesitant to blame the surface. I don't want to, but I want to know how much, because you were at the game. How much of an issue, maybe, or maybe it wasn't an issue, was the surface in relation to these injuries? Because as we know now, Zane Gonzalez, he suffered a groin injury. Sam Darnold, I'm not sure what the exact injury is. It's a high ankle sprain. Uh, We'll get into the impact on the field and how they can potentially replace these two guys moving forward. What did you see from your vantage point on these two injuries? Did the field have a factor at all? Was it just unlucky? Like, what did you kind of, um, you know, glean from those two?
1: Okay, so playing surface, Billy. You know, we talk about the the injuries that happened here. Obviously, Sam Darnold goes down. Uh, the Zane Gonzalez thing. I, I didn't get a good look at it. Obviously, it's concerning as hell. I mean, you do not want to be going in to the beginning of your season, two weeks removed, with a very good kicker and now having to shop around for another one. Uh, it, it's a groin injury, a very serious one, they say, and one that's going to put him on the shelf. And with with Darnold, uh, that was really unfortunate. I, I will always default back to natural grass is where you need to be playing football. And I, I mentioned the stat last week on the show. I'll mention it again. Billy, they play one game all season on grass, one game. That's at the end of the year against Tampa on New Year's Day. So soft tissue stuff, it's a known fact in the game of football, hell, even in the game of soccer, that these things are more prone when you're not playing on natural grass. Players talk about it, football players. You saw Shaq Thompson, Billy, on Twitter. Not the the favorite safe space for somebody who – It's very high up in the organization, by the way, from what we've heard. But Shaq Thompson, one of their own players on Twitter, was pretty much begging for them to keep that grass in that they put in for that one-game Chelsea match. Um, Yeah, I'd love to see grass back. I can't speculate on what impact Turf had on either one of these. That was a bad one for Sam that could have been a hell of a lot worse. It reminded me a lot of the Dak Prescott injury against dallas which by the or against uh, new york which by the way was also on natural or on artificial turf uh yeah it's you it's fair to ask the question that's all i'll say i mean look i'm not going to sit here and run circles around the team about it that narrative i've been through that people know where i stand on but i think you know people like joe person have been very vocal about it and others you and i have definitely voiced our opinion um these are just two unfortunate injuries because now you know you've got to go shopping for a kicker and now what do you do a backup quarterback? What do you do a backup quarterback if he's missing more than I mean know, four or 6 weeks? It's it's a it's a bad spot to be in. You have to keep PJ Walker.
2: You can't just you cannot just go through this entire season or preseason training camp. You gave him all those reps yeah. in in game one of the preseason. You gave him all the reps in pre training camp practices to give up on him. I mean, this is your guy, Matt. This is your guy. This is the offensive guy or the quarterback that you've had in your system for three years I understand he's played multiple systems now but you can't get okay if you want to go sign like someone out there a free agent fine but don't just keep trading for a backup quarterback I don't know it seems like it's going to be season ending for Darnold from my just you know own opinion on what I saw and just what I've heard since then but you kept pj throughout this time he's been a backup quarterback under two guys already you got to keep him and i understand there's issues with him we've discussed it but i just think you have to swallow the pill keep him i don't think he's a bad backup for whatever it's worth i think he's perfectly capable i just don't want them to continue to waste assets on a backup quarterback where it's how how much of an improvement is it going to really be I mean, you have you just just keep PJ Walker in the fold, and let's move forward. If you really want to, uh, you know, go search for a backup. I mean, maybe there's going to be guys cut here in the next twenty four to forty eight hours that you can claim off waivers. Uh, but for me, I, I don't necessarily see the urge to trade for someone. Whether I, I don't know who's out there that could constitute a, uh, an acceptable uh, backup. And and final point I just want to make on the surface uh, point because. Uh, The number one thing is just the competitive advantage it gives you playing on grass. I was listening to a podcast uh, from Jed York, who's the owner of the 49ers, and he was discussing it costs them like a million dollars a year to just maintain grass. And if we're being like, obviously, I'm not a millionaire or billionaire for that matter. So I don't, this money obviously does not, (laughs) I can't really speak to anyone's money. But when you're a billionaire and you're trying to, you know, play, have your team play at the highest levels, it just seems to make sense to me that that investment would help a lot and the 49ers levi stadium it hosts a lot of events it hosts concerts just like bank of america stadium does so the idea that you have to keep the you know turf because of the concerts or whatever else i, I don't really buy that and you know yeah. one of the prestige franchises in the league a team that's you know been in the nfc title game two of the last 3 years I mean they have put in the investment of maintaining grass so I hope that and I understand California whether it's different but still come on it's pretty warm in Charlotte yeah for at least 10 right. months a
1: year <laughs> I think it's a matter I mean it's a matter of of convenience to a certain degree I would imagine I, I don't I don't talk enough with people who run the the sports entertainment side of the Tepper you know empire to understand, you know, all the dynamics that go into it. But you have to imagine this is, you know, a a cost-saving measure. And and once again, for an owner who has, I believe now, the second deepest pockets uh, to the Broncos ownership group in the NFL, you would like to see a little more emphasis once again on keeping your football operation from a structural perspective on the field where it needs to be i'm not a fan of turf i'm never going to be a fan i'm never going to apologize for it i'm a natural grass guy uh, i think it was a mistake from a football perspective and i to your point there are other venues out there that have natural grass and they go through this process every year of hosting concerts but once again this is a entertainment conglomerate we're talking about and it, it is a much different perspective um all i can say about the owner is he's an interesting guy. He's a very interesting guy, and he makes interesting decisions. It's much different than the last regime. And what I don't want to see is, like, players voicing on Twitter, uh, namely Shaq Thompson. And I'm not trying to call Shaq out. I'm actually supporting him here. You know, the idea that, hey, natural grass is what we want, and, and those voices go ignored there. So I'm not putting words in people's mouth. It's all out there on the record. Uh I'm a natural grass guy. I hate to see it, and I hope it's not contributing. Cause like once again, Billy, on the road at home, they're playing one game all year on natural grass. That concerns me. And
2: let's get to the eddie or excuse me, the uh St. Gonzalez injury. Uh, this, in my opinion, is pretty significant just given how reliable Gonzalez was for them last year and even in this preseason. And it seems like they've brought in two replacements, Eddie Pinheiro and Brian Johnson. Um, what are you hearing as far as the timeline on this injury? Is this a short-term thing or is this a potential to get uh, really kind of derail their season? Because if you have a, a kicker that's inconsistent, it just really, uh, really ha- causes a lot of issues for your offense.
1: Oh, it's bad, Billy. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. When you're talking about injuries, no matter what the timeline is for Zane Gonzalez, uh, it's bad. It happens, you know, again, a, a, another year where this kind of stuff happens off the field, literally for the kicker, where it's just warm ups or you're on the sidelines. Um, it's been termed uh, by, by the team reporter Augusta Stone as a significant long term injury. Uh, this was the words of Matt Rule right after the game. Uh, significant injury to the groin. I, I don't see him being available anytime soon. So you, you mentioned Brian Johnson, not from ACDC, by the way, the other Brian Johnson and Eddie Pinero, who I believe, and I have to go back and look at their, you know, track record, but I, I believe he kicked under, you know, Chris Tabor in Chicago. That's uh, correct. There's a relationship there. Um, I do believe at times there were some struggles in the kicking game under Chris Tabor um, now, now, you look at where he's gone through here. I believe he's 31 of 36, 86%, not bad. He's got a big leg. He can do it. Um, th- it's just hard because Zane was was really in a rhythm, Billy. He had kind of submitted himself as the guy. And this team in particular, I mentioned it you know on Twitter earlier this week that th- this team has to win in the margins, and it's going to come down to some kicks. I mean, you're in that type of mode where you're going to be facing – You know, a a possible game-winning kick there, a possible game-winning extra point. I mean, these are things that aren't givens anymore. And we went through this with Santoso and all these guys last year trying to find a kicker. They, I don't want to say they lucked into Zane Gonzalez, but these things do fall in your lap to a certain degree. And uh, it's a shame. So, you know, I haven't heard any updates on this as of today, but the latest reporting was – it looks like an extended period of time, a groin injury, Billy. I mean, it, first of all, it, it, it's never good, even for just gentlemen like us. But if you're a football player, especially a kicker, it's almost the kiss of death short term. So I'm not expecting him to be back anytime soon. We'll follow up and see what happens.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's really unfortunate because you know, this is a position that I thought Carolina had solidified after the Volatile Joey Sly experience, and I was watch, watching Washington's preseason game yesterday, and you know Sly again was missing pretty makeable field goals. So I'm glad that we moved on from him, but it's just really disheartening yeah. to see, you know, another injury occur at this junction of the season. You know, because the other guy that they replaced him with Santoso, I just saw he got cut from a team the other day too, and and I don't want to yeah. have to go through this you know, experience of just trying to find kickers until week three or week four, and it just really puts you behind the eight ball. And it's 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 unfortunate. And obviously, the main thing is, um you know, Zane Gonzalez's health, but, you know, for the team, I can understand some of the frustrations and issues that could occur because it does seem to be a, or excuse me, it did seem to be a little bit of a freak
1: injury. Yeah, it was. I mean, honestly, he's kicking into the net and it happens. I mean, so it's just... Once again, uh, th- there's been a lot of narrative out there that the Panthers are a bit cursed to this position for the longest of time. You know, I know Graham Gunot missed a couple of bad ones there at times, but he also nailed some boom shots in some critical positions back in 15, back in 18. Uh, he, he was about as steady as you can ask for, at least, you, you know, given the fact that the, the position is very volatile. John Casey was the standard here for a long time, obviously. And now, you know, you go through the Joey Sly experience. That was very inconsistent, wildly inconsistent, cost them games. And then they were into that cycle last year where they finally zoned in on a kicker that gave them some consistency. And I, I don't want to talk kickers for two hours here, but Billy, I just can't say it enough. I've seen too many games. I mean, remember Lindo Mare back in 2011. Yeah. That game. Yeah. Where, where Newton hits, you know, LaFell on that stop route. He takes it down the boundary and then, they're right there in position to to put that game into overtime and, and he, he shanks it. So you don't want to see a team fight this hard to get to that point and it comes down to kicking, which it should and probably will in a season with margins this tight. And now you're kind of screwed at this point. Unless one of these other guys can step in and be the guy and we'll see what Chris Tabor can do from a special teams coaching unit. Yes, we
2: will. And let's move into the stock rising and stock falling Uh, stock rising for you, John
1: stock rising to me uh, continues to be Brandon Smith on defense. I know we've used him a lot, but he just looks exceptional. Uh, He's got all the traits we mentioned earlier. You want to see in a guy that can have some flexibility into that front seven there defensively. Uh, I'll say on offense, John Lovett, the running back, again, a Baylor guy. I I thought he had some good reps and pass protection he looked very good to me in terms of picking up some of the blitzes. He ran hard. Um, one more stock falling, and I think McCaffrey will help with this, but the run game needs to get cranked up a little bit. Hubbard, just the hands are an issue with him. It, it seems like the the biggest tackler at times for Hubbard is Hubbard, and I just want to see more from Chuba because they invested a pick in this guy, and now you've got Foreman out playing him right now, so that's kind of where I'm at with, uh, with that group.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on that stock falling. That was my stock falling as well. And and I just want to elaborate a little more on Chuba Hubbard because it, it's very, uh, it's just disappointing because this is a guy that his deficiencies are catching the football, and you and it's not something he did in college. And when he did it in college, it wasn't something that he was good at. I think the biggest hindrance for him in this regard is the fact that when. You can go in the jugs machine and catch you know, 300, 400 balls after practice, but I don't think that's going to replace the level that you'll get when you're in a game setting. And wow. I'm not sure that he's shown in a game setting to be able to reliably catch a football. I understand that the throw that Mayfield made when he thread the needle to him is a tough catch, but there was a couple other instances where he just flat out dropped it. And this isn't just something that you can get better at in one off season. This takes two or three off seasons. And for me right now, Deontay Foreman is a clear running back too. And so moving forward, when I expect him to make the roster, no issues, but is he going to be active on game days? I don't think so. I'm not sure what he offers as a, I don't think that what he offers as a runner outweighs the fact that he can't pass or his pass protection is, isn't ideal and he can't catch the ball period. And that's just, I, I, you have to catch the ball. And you know, I understand you're playing with the new quarterback. He's going to have a little more heat on the ball than maybe Darnold or PJ Walker does. Yeah. But you got to catch the ball. And I just think it's it's and it was an issue last year. And I understood it because he was a rookie. He didn't play in an offense that featured him as a pass catcher. But year two, it's still an issue in the preseason. And it just does not nothing looks natural for him. His hands are out of out of whack. It just it seems like he's not, you know, getting going in sync with his hands to catch a ball on time. It just does not, nothing looks natural about him attempting to uh, catch a football. And, and that's, that's an issue for me and that's going to be an issue for the, in this offense. So yeah, that's, that's a very clear stock falling. I'll get to mine in a second, but uh, my stock rising would be, I'm going to go with Iquanu because we've seen the progression he's made from week one of the preseason to now. I understand he wasn't going up against Von Miller and, you know, the starting edge rushers for the bills but i see a lot more consistency in his mechanics and his kick slide and just his overall comfortability with in this in an nfl offense and i think that it's gonna there's gonna be ups and downs with him, no doubt about it miles Garrett week one he's probably gonna have a sack and a couple pressures on him that's what miles garrett does and it's gonna people are gonna post clips about it you and i can post clips about it who knows but let's just be patient with this guy. I think he's going to be a star in a year or two. Uh, But right now I think that his progression from the first week in the preseason to now has been, uh, it's, it's made, it's been a huge difference overall. And I think he deserves credit for that. And he's just going to be a guy that improves week over week and year over year.
1: Yeah. uh, Good call on that. I think, you know, obviously with, with Hubbard, you mentioned some of the concerns there. And I think, you know, look, you've got to be better. You've got to be, as a draft pick, you have to be able to, you know, hit the hole, not fall down with with your first hit there. You've got a better contact balance. And then you've got to be able to catch the football, not just on the, the corner route we talked about, which was a nice design. And Baker, you know, obviously put the velocity where it needs to go. Now it may have been slightly tipped, I don't know, but still – the ball was in his bread basket and you got to catch those. And then the shorter ones, I mean, we saw checkdowns last year, like against Miami where they were just pure drops. So you've got to get better in that department. Uh, and I think you know Foreman to me just from his tape last year and then coming into camp this year, especially in the red zone, gives you the ability to be more dynamic in the pass game. And also as a runner too, he's a slasher but he's also got great strength and power, good center of balance there. I think he's a guy you want at that number two back position. In fact, I think he and McCaffrey, if they work this outright with utilization, could be hella dynamic. I mean, they can you can do some 21-pony stuff. You can do some fun things there. I just don't see Hubbard on tape and say, wow, you know, that flashes. That's He doesn't have tremendous breakaway speed. He doesn't have tremendous power. Um, he's just a guy right now. And until he shows better tape, he's at that status
2: yeah I, I could not agree more and again I think he can do a serviceable job if McCaffrey is injured but at this point I, I think the top two running backs are set clear in stone Foreman has impressed me as a pass catcher too for whatever limited reps he's gotten in the preseason but yeah from what both of us saw on tape it with Tennessee last year um'm I'm, I'm a bigger I'm a big fan of him getting the running back two share for this football team um that's gonna be it for the stock rising and stock falling up but but before we sign off john is there anything else that you want to mention
1: well it's a big week i mean you know you get a little bit calm before the storm here but on the 30th they've got to get that roster down to that 53 and i'm fascinated to see obviously i think we should do maybe a follow-up pod when that happens to sort of review where the roster is but you're going to have some really interesting bubble calls to make there on both sides of the ball, especially at wide receiver. Does Zylstra stay around? They value his versatility on special teams, his ability to be a a pretty good pass catcher in the pass game when he's in there. Uh, Gio Ricci, he got hurt, but it doesn't sound serious. You mentioned him as a stock rising, I believe, last week. He brings you a lot in the passing game as an H-back, as a fullback. He's got that Richie Brockle skill set you talked about. I wonder if they keep him and run that 21 personnel with a lead back or if they just default to Tremble or somebody else. Uh, Steven Sullivan flashed in that game. I know he had the bad fumble against uh, New England, but he might be a guy on the bubble. Uh, I, I would keep him over Colin Thompson and, and the other kid, Josh Babbitts, right now. Ian Thomas comes back this week uh, to practice. That that obviously solidifies tight end. And then you got to start making decisions at quarterback. You know, Scott Fowler wrote a column there. And they press rule once again on the Cam Newton issue. To me, I, I'm not certain that's the best route to travel right now. I don't know where Newton is mentally, physically. I think he's still got some game left in him if utilized properly. But I just don't know if that's a route they're going to travel. But you mentioned P.J. Walker, Billy. They gave him as I'll repeat your your statement. They gave him the most reps of any quarterback during the preseason. Put that to use now. That that's what I'd say. Just stick tight. Don't you know hemorrhage any more assets and just move forward and then let's see how some of the rookies pan out here uh, into week one as we preview this game guys like Amari Barno can he get back on the field and others so it'll be an interesting week no doubt
2: yeah we certainly will have a recap uh, pod of the roster when it is formally done and it's still going to remain fluid as you know the days go by but we certainly will You'll have a recap here later in the week, and then obviously we will do a preview pod of excuse me of Carolina's first opponent, the Cleveland Browns, in a couple weeks. So stay tuned for all that. We're excited for another season, and we thank you as always for joining us here at the Roar. Thank you, and
1: have a good one. For the ones who work
0: hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early